potential and possibilities, discussions with fascinating people, designing a better tomorrow for all of us. I'm your host, Ira Pastor. Welcome everybody again to another episode of our show today, bringing you another really fascinating guest who's helping to create a better tomorrow uh, on many different fronts. Today we have the honor uh, of being joined by Captain Benjamin Van Buskirk, who is the director of Naval X, which is a fascinating organization that serves both the U.S. Navy and Marine Corps uh, as an innovation and agility cell, ultimately supporting and connecting various initiatives across the Department of Defense, uh, connecting different teams with tools, training resources, and ultimately enabling people to think differently and deliver effective solutions uh, to the warfighter. Uh, Captain Van Buskirk joined Naval X after helping establish the Strategic Warfighting Innovation Cell uh, within the Navy's Warfighting Development Directorate, where as a founding member, uh, he helped design and execute the strategic priorities and engagement plan. Uh, Captain Van Buskirk was also a former Secretary of Defense Executive Fellow uh, at the cloud computing company VMware, where he was one of four Navy officers. He was selected for a fellowship and tasked with, with helping uh, senior executives in areas including business strategy, technology innovation, focusing on everything from artificial intelligence, machine learning, internet of things, mobile and cloud computing. Uh, Captain Van Buskirk also has many years of active duty experience, including uh, not limited to serving as both the squadron commanding and executive officer for the United States Navy uh, and serving, and this is a first, uh, as the United States Joint Chief of Staff Strike Advisor, uh, trusted to ultimately provide accurate and timely advice to the President of the United States uh, for employment of strategic nuclear weapons and ensuring nuclear command and control execution messages are properly sent to forces little more responsibility than I, I might want. Um, uh, Captain Van Buskirk uh, has an undergraduate degree, a bachelor's in finance uh, from the University of Arizona. That is an MBA with a focus on defense uh, at the Naval Postgraduate School. And, and we're really honored to have him with us today. Uh, Captain Van Buskirk, thank you so much for taking the time out of your schedule to come talk to us. And of course, thank you for your long history of service to the United States. Uh, it's an honor. And uh, and for the record, when I got the job on the Joint Chiefs of Staff, I didn't realize all the responsibilities until after I'd gotten there. And I was like, wow, this is a very interesting set of orders. So, okay. um, but yeah, it was very, very uh, enlightening. <laughs> there you go. Well, it, it really is an honor to, to have you with us. Um, you know, I, I'd love to start off, though, as we, as we typically do uh, on the show, by, by handing you the floor for a few minutes, just to, to talk a little bit more about yourself so we can get to know you. If you can go through everything from, from where you grew up, uh, a little bit of your background going into the service, as well as sort of the development of these broad interests in business and finance and, of course, entrepreneurship, uh, I think it'd be fun to, to talk a little bit about your early career journey, if we could. 
Yeah, no problem. Um, so I'm born and raised in uh, Northern California. So born in Mountain View, grew up in Menlo Park. I'm a third generation Bay Area guy. Uh, my father was an entrepreneur out there. Uh, although he wasn't in tech, he was a restaurateur. So um, he did uh, had multiple restaurants and did some franchising. So I really grew up uh, around entrepreneurship as a child. And um, we moved. Uh, he he'd sold his franchises and we moved to Arizona uh, when I was a freshman in high school. And he did more of the same, uh, more uh, as, as I don't know if anyone has a father who's been an entrepreneur, but it's like, what are we going to do? And it's like, oh, we'll figure it out. When we get there. I'll just get into something. So as expected, he did. Uh, and I stayed there. I lived in Arizona for about seven years. So finished high school out there and then um, went on to college at the University of Arizona. And I spent uh, four years there, amazingly graduated in four years. And, um, you know, the Navy really wasn't something that was on my radar. Um, initially, it was, I'm going to go do business and I'm going to go father, you know, follow in the family footsteps because uh, my grandfather also uh, was a uh, entrepreneur. And uh, it was literally going to class one day. And anyone that's been a finance or accounting major will remember some really terrible 400 level international uh, finance and tax law. It was something really, really uh, not fun. And I was walking to class. And anyone that's been to Tucson, uh, if you the University of Arizona, the final approach for Davis Mothin uh, kind of goes over near the school. And uh, we had a couple of helicopters. Well, you see helicopters and 810s flying over all the time. But this particular day, I was walking to class and two uh, H-60 Pavehawks from Davis Mothin combat search and rescue aircraft landed in the middle of the mall at U of A. Uh, it must have been something for ROTC. I don't remember what. And they shut down. And uh, I walk over and I'm like, this is pretty cool. And the pilot goes, yeah, why don't you check it out and have a seat? And I sat in the cockpit and I said, um, how do I do this? <laughs> this is cool. This sounds pretty exciting. And the rest was history. It came down to talking to the different branches saying I walked in as a senior in college. How do I fly helicopters? And uh, for all the reasons a lot of people join the Navy, um, Naval aviation's great and uh, wanted to see the world and uh, live in cool places, bases near a beach. And they had some great aircrafts uh, and great missions. So uh, with that, really, a, I know this is a direction I want to go, join the Navy. And then, and really, it's just been an adventure from there. Uh, if you look at the bio, it was really, you know, we've lived all over the, you know, I've been all over the world uh, and my family. Uh, we definitely made the most out of join the Navy and see the world. And we did. Mm -hmm. and it's been a heck of a ride. Outstanding. Really outstanding. And now you get to, you know, merge those those two worlds of, of, yeah. of national security defense and then, of course, all the entrepreneurship that you're involved in now. I, I enjoyed reading through the, the Naval X materials and this, this wonderful sort of uh, tagline connecting operational art, tactical yeah. proficiency and commercial creativity, which I think sort of sums up everything that you're about. Uh, I was wondering if you could sort of take us on a little walk through Naval X, sort of just sort of the, the a little bit of the history, yeah. and it was founded back in 2019. And, and you know, we've been you know honored to profile on the show, you know, what I sort of call the uh, sort of the defense tech ecosystem. You know, we've had folks on from places like uh, Office of Naval Research, DARPA, uh, places like Ensign, which are very broad purview. You know, on one hand, you know, mm -hmm. if you if you want to cloak an aircraft carrier, you know, DARPA. Folks will do that. It'll take many years. Ensign working mm -hmm. on sort of much more short-term stuff. Talk a little bit about what Naval X focuses on, a little bit of where it gets its directives from, and sort of what its, uh, let's say, its entrepreneurial timeline for getting stuff, you know, an idea to the market is. 
Yeah, I'd love to. So Naval X, you know, I'll start off with uh, some great and quote, Steve Blank from Stanford had said that um, a startup is an organization in search of its purpose. And at Harvard Business School, when I did executive course in uh, entrepreneurship and venture capital there said entrepreneurship is creating value uh, with no resources. So when Naval X stood up, it was very much an entrepreneurial startup. Right. And so and that was by design. When Secretary Good stirred us up, it was a we need the whole idea was we need to it was the agility cell. We need to figure out how we can move faster and break down silos. And it was very much Hondo provided the seed funding, which was here we go. I'm giving you the top cover. Take a very small team. This was, you know, of course, before I got here, but I'm familiar with it because I'd actually met Secretary Gertz and the Naval X crew when I was a fellow, when they were still walking through all, uh, trying to think through all of this. And uh, that was the idea is we're going to give you very, very little money, some top cover, pull a few people together and go figure it out. Um, and so that was really from its foundation, sort of different than you would get traditionally uh, with starting up a Navy project or a program. All right, here's a bunch of people. Here's a big budget. Here's your here's your, uh, you know, your your clear authorities. It was very much go figure it out. And so that's how Naval X was started. And so that entrepreneurial spirit uh, is fantastic. And it really does. It was great because it keeps you hungry. Right. And that's something that, you know, it's not like we have this great budget and all this top cover was you need to go in and really figure it out, find your stakeholders, do that customer analysis, figure out what your value proposition is, uh, look at where the pain points are. Um, and, and that goes, you know, really to what I learned as a fellow uh, on uh, solution selling. And, and about understanding the customer and design thinking of, oh, right, what do we need to be? And so that's how Naval X was stood up. And they started a handful of lines of effort uh, with really a bunch of founders, folks that were just go get after types of folks. And so since then, it's really been as Naval X has grown up as an or, or is growing up. Um, it's, uh, all right, how do we just like any startup, what's working, what's not, and then continue to, um, you know, pivot and persevere as needed, really using the, the lean startup model of um, how, how we can provide value uh, to the Navy with the problems that they have um, and really what stakeholders are most important and go from there. So that's really what the idea was stood up. But the mission really um, has changed a little bit, but the bottom line is it's number one, how, do, how do, can we guide stakeholders to delivering capability to the warfighter rapidly? Number two, being a platform for connecting naval needs and challenges with solution providers across DOD industry and academia. And number three, drive and change, drive uh, culture change to make the Navy, uh, and I say Naval, it's Navy and Marine Corps, more agile uh, and adaptable force. And so they really all three work together. And as Naval X started and grew, um, if you look at the history of it, it was very much initially, let's be a super connector and, and change culture. And then um, after a year and a half, two years of that, we realized, okay, if we aren't guiding towards delivering a capability, then you know what that's the outcome, right? Um, and, and that's what we added uh, about a year ago was, okay, we've kind of figured out this foundation via our tech bridge network and the rest of our line of efforts. We're breaking down those silos, right? Yep. And actually creating connections that didn't exist, at least didn't exist you know, when I started off as a fellow in 2018, 2019, and I was going to startup accelerators around San Francisco or even around the Valley, it was like, working with the DOD for a lot of folks was sort of an afterthought, right? But between 
uh, you know, what we built with the tech bridges and then really the other defense innovation uh, folks, whether it's uh, DIU out in the Bay Area, Softworks, yep. Afworks, you know, a couple of them are a little older than us, but we're all kind of driving towards the same thing of breaking down these barriers. And we started really seeing some synergy between all of our efforts. So anyway, we added guiding stakeholders delivering capability. And why is that as one? You need to, to help with an outcome, right? And that word guide is specific, right? We picked that word guide because um, we're not going to do it, right? We have a whole Navy uh, acquisition system to do that, yeah. which I think is really important to point out. Uh, and how is Naval X say different from, I think AFWorks is a great example. And, and, and for I talk to them all the time. Um, we collaborate routinely in how we, we can work together, them and the rest of the DODXs, as I call them, um, and big Navy. But what's different about the Navy is we have the NRD, the Navy Research and Development Establishment. We have this uh, really fantastic network of federal labs called Warfare Centers. Um, around the country sponsored by our systems commands that do internal R&D. We have program offices that are there to do the program management, management right, of these R&D efforts. And we have resource sponsors that come up with the requirements from the fleet. So we're not going to recreate any of that and create our own, um, you know, we're going to do it all separately. The whole idea of Naval X is we have this, how do we make it work better? Yep. Uh, you know, how can we be the grease or a pin, you know, to help it go or be a pinion gear. When lots of gears are going on, how can we really get folks working together better? Um, and then how do we be a glue, right? Where, you know, folks will come into us with a problem and um, because our organization is so big and because the culture of the Navy is very decentralized, um, it is, there's a huge value in figuring out where these connections are and helping folks work together. And that's really the foundation of what makes Naval X different is it's about bringing folks together from the existing structures we have and how do we make it better? Now, you know, we do, of course, you know, when we get uh, asked, you know, to call from uh, folks on the Hill or senior leaders, what we think could be done better and new, of course we share that. And we can try new initiatives as pilots which I think is another kind of cool thing about my job is we could pilot new initiatives if we think we've got something we can do better. Um, but that's at its most basic foundation of, of what Naval X is. Excellent. And, and, and can, you know, continuing on this theme of, of you being, sorry, as you were saying, this super connector, I mean, a core mm -hmm. of, uh, of what goes on, as you were saying, are these, uh, this Naval X tech bridge model. Uh, I think I read in the, uh, in the recent uh, report, you, I think if it's been like 18 cities mm -hmm. around the United States, Japan as well, and, and you're working really in, um, once again, coming back to this sort of industry, academia, military mm -hmm. sort of collaboration, you, you have off-base locations, uh, you, you find that uh, not only is this a great way to, to foster collaboration in, you know, a commercial business space rather than, than on a military base at times, but also uh, another interesting piece of information mm -hmm. that, that we, we spoke about this, the concept of dual use that, you know, there are technologies that go both ways. We want to make a more efficient warfighter, but these technologies may also be good for uh, healthcare or whatever mm -hmm. over here and vice versa. Talk a little bit about how you go about organizing uh, these you know, very complex collaborations and creating the tech bridges and a little bit of sort of this dual use concept, if you would. So I'll, I'll hit both of those. The foundation of the Naval X tech bridge model, we'll call, we call the innovation pipeline. Mm -hmm. um, and the innovation pipeline is essentially the closest we can come to a, um, think of it as an innovation doctrine. And it's, it's not my idea. It actually came from um, 
folks for contract support and from folks at Stanford, particularly the thinking of, of guys like Steve Blank and the Hacking for Defense crews. If you haven't heard of Hacking for Defense, it's a fantastic program. Um, started at Stanford and scaled across multiple universities where they break down Navy problem or DOD problems, excuse me. But it's the idea of you have to, just like in the military where, uh, say, close air support, you need a foundation of terminology and a way you go about getting fires on a target, right? Um, we is there a we want to develop some level of a baseline for how you can do innovation? What are the terminology? What are the phases? So you can be talking on the same sheet of paper from idea sourcing to curation uh, to uh, prototyping to um, you know all the way through. It's an eight step process all the way to actually fielding technology and who does what and where and actually map that out. So when I say somebody, what a tech bridge can do is, you know, with this, not just dual use, but how you get from A to B, it's having a, a general rubric of the innovation pipeline that all of us are speaking the same language. So if we have somebody walks in with a problem, we can kind of map it out and at least go, okay, if we want to actually feel this, another analogy I've heard is, is getting to the top of Mount Everest, right? Yeah. Um, right. You say, I, I is, you routinely get this where I'll have a, a warfighter come and say, hey, this is really great tech. I really want it. And then the company says, yep, hey, they want our tech. What do we need to do, right? Yeah, that's, you know, somebody saying they have a solution to a Navy problem is like the ticket on the Hilo ride to base camp. Um, getting up the mountain is really complicated because of all the different folks involved, everything from laws to uh, to just different organizations, mapping that out and building up essentially a path uh, to getting towards delivering capabilities. So the innovation pipeline is really the common rubric we use um, for mapping out from A to Z and getting something fielded. And we can help folks get from one place to the next. Um, you can, we've done a few soup to nuts projects where we've actually taken a problem all the way through to a solution. Uh, and we do that with our partners uh, are mostly nonprofit partners, which are PIAs, which are great for that, and contract support, uh, who can be that continuity uh, for the Naval X team and helping move folks through there. Um, but I'll also get a bit into dual use. And so why dual use? Um, there are a lot of folks who will say, don't go dual use, focus on one or the other. Um, mm -hmm. And that's completely, and very good arguments for both. Uh, my personal opinion about dual use is, is that um, if, uh, the understanding of the venture uh, of the venture ecosystem, um, it is very difficult uh, to do a sole defense company. And by dual doing use, it's essentially just like hedging yourself, right? That way, you have a commercial product, and then defense can be an additional uh, value stream for you, uh, and it can really work together if done right. And just some examples I could, I've seen work. You look at folks, some companies I won't name them on here, but they've done that where they say gotten uh, a SIBR, a Small Business Innovation Research, or STTR, or some level of DOD funding, um, they can, though, take that to venture backs and see, like, hey, yep. look at here, I've got the DOD investing in me. Um, this is goodness. And then they can go and get additional uh, funding to develop that product they were working on. And so it just makes it a little bit easier so you don't have to do two R&D streams. And I know sometimes, and it's a challenge, where the DOD will want something more specific, uh, where that cost solution or that that commercial use solution won't work for DoD. Um, and I know that's there's a lot of reasons for that. However, from a business standpoint, if I'm doing my own startup, um, it's definitely less risk if you're doing dual use than doing straight defense. However, um, you know I've, you've sure. seen some very successful companies go straight defense 
uh, and have done well. But it's just a little bit less risk if you're able to go commercial also, and that we can really go both. Um, as far as, uh, I think I answered your question on that. Um, yeah. Any other follow-on on that one? No, 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 that, that, that was yeah. spot on. That, 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 was, that was perfect. And um, it, it, it feeds nicely into sort of the next direction yeah. that, that I wanted to go. Um, because, you know, once again, you know, going back to the, the, the annual report, you know, you, you've generated, uh, I, I think the number was something like $50 million or so of, of different tech bridge projects so far. Yeah. Uh, you, uh, the research area is quite diverse, everything from artificial intelligence, unmanned systems, yeah. uh, advanced manufacturing. And I thought it'd be fun just to touch on a couple of these. We, we've done some of these themes before, but really to look at it from a Naval X sort of strategic perspective. Um, we, about a year ago, we, we hosted um, uh, Brett Vaughn, uh, from uh, ONR's artificial intelligence, uh, chief of artificial intelligence at ONR at the time, um, and you know he was introducing us to to themes like uh, using artificial intelligence to to switch power loads on on, on, on carriers and, and and directed energy and all sorts of cool stuff like that. You're involved in um, you know. Artificial intelligence grand challenges, looking for solutions that may take somewhere in the range of 18 months to, to get to the fleet to solve problems. Talk a little bit about, because I know you, you've also been in the private sector involved in artificial intelligence, mm -hmm. which is a hot topic everywhere now. Talk a little bit about some of what the challenges are all about and, and, and some of the things you're interested in with regard to artificial intelligence. Sure. And so I'll hit on like why we pick certain topics. And so Please. it goes back to what interests the boss fascinates me. Yes. Uh, and so it's a uh, Naval X is sort of a unique position in that we have these tech bridges that are uh, locally owned and operated. Was my father was the franchiser, right? Yes. So they're thinking of them as Naval X franchises, and that was the idea when Secretary Gertz started it. He he he, did, he built Softworks up from the ground up, mm -hmm. and when he came to the Navy, he said the challenge with that is it's just one. What if we could have multiple around? And so essentially, all right, how do we create a, for lack of a better term, a franchise model? So um, what's great about it is they're locally owned and operated, but yet have that connection to headquarters right with a, a common way of thinking and so what do they do so each of our tech bridges are actually co-located with a warfare center um and each of those warfare centers or labs have things that they focus on. So one, they, they do things that are important to their local ecosystem, but at the same time, we take in high-level problems. And so that answers your question with that is the, at the highest level, I'm looking at things that are important to the CNO and my boss, ASNR DNA, uh, the acquisition executive, on what are the big problems you see and you want us to get after and help you solve. And of course, AI is one of those. Um, it's in the CNO's NAV plan. He talks about these are our priorities. You, you hear things like AI, uh, contested logistics, unmanned systems, um, live virtual constructive. And so uh, we go into how we work with those stakeholders at the senior level. What, could, what things can we do to help you move this along in a support way? Um, and so you've heard, I'm sure, about the unmanned task force uh, that the CNO stood up, right? We are in a supporting role of that, right? As yeah. soon as that came up, all right, what can we do to help you guys? And so I have Naval Xers on that staff full time. We help with the design, with the facilitation. And if they want to do an industry day, okay, let's work together. How do we help you be that grease, be that pinion gear, uh, help you move what you need to, to work along? We have multiple other projects where we're through the program offices or warfare centers or some resource sponsors trying to figure out with a problem, how do I get my job done and how can we help you do that? So we kind of hit it both. You know, it's almost like a states versus federal as I, I've been explaining that analogy too, is to think of as our tech bridge network, we're sort of like states. And we also have sort of the federal level and we work together to solve those problems. But I'll also add in, uh, and I think this is important for, for everyone to hear is just a, last month, 
um, the Dawn SBIR program, the Tech Transfer Rapid Innovation Fund, and a handful of others were moved under the Naval X umbrella, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so you, if it, people aren't familiar with those programs, we're building out our websites and and our branding, but they're fantastic programs. And you look at something like Dawn Sibber and how uh, we've been able to, you know, look at the model for that, which is very different from how the Air Force does it. And that every one of these small business innovation research topics are actually come from program offices, right? They're vetted with a, somebody on the back end who says, I want to transition this in the future. And so kind of another decentralized approach where if you look at our Sibber topics as we put them out, they all have backing from somewhere, right? From a problem that has been, that has a requirement, that has a program office that says they want it. And so that program has been really successful. And so I'm going to do a shout out for them because they're now new under the Naval X umbrella, right? And so we have, as I'm learning, is they're really doing great stuff. And so one of the exciting things looking at the future of where we want to kind of get after is now that we have really, we merged with the, uh, the ONR's Naval Accelerators, what was founded uh, okay. a few years ago. And we brought Naval X and the Naval Accelerator together under one organization, uh, which is pretty exciting. And it's now how do we all work together now under one common chain, uh, organizational structure of things like Don Sibber, the Tech Bridges, um, and our other lines of efforts with like Tech Transfer, Rapid Innovation Fund, and so forth. It's pretty exciting. So right now we're working through that, how we can strategically align these all these lines of efforts to now together to really deliver value. Awesome. Uh, another one that I, I found completely fascinating, and, and it just... It, once again, speaking to sort of the, the super connective model, yeah. um, it was is uh, specifically at the Northwest Tech Bridge, which I think I guess located at the Naval Undersea Warfare Center. Mm -hmm. You know, here you're bringing together Army Medical Command, and we, we just had Vic Suarez on from, from Operation Warp Speed, the VA, Rachel Romani over there. We did a show with uh, so ONR people, and and here once again, you're you're coming back to uh, finding these capabilities that are sort of dormant uh, in terms of production of, of face shields and air hoods and all sorts of other interesting sort of biomedical opportunities. Can you, can you talk a little bit about uh, how the Naval Undersea Warfare Center sort of became a very interesting hub for, for these healthcare opportunities through Naval X? Yeah, it's, that is awesome. Um, and so that's like the next level, right? So we have like multiple levels here. Move my phone back. You have like the basic Navy labs connecting with Navy labs and then connecting industry with Navy. And then it's like, okay, how are we connecting uh, across DOD? And then how are we connecting with other partners? And, and really what, uh, what makes it happen is, you know, the uh, MIT, uh, and I, I'm losing her name, fantastic professor there studies innovation ecosystems, right? Mm -hmm. And there are certain places like your Silicon Valleys, your Bostons, your Seattles that just have the right mix of folks yep. to just make magic happen, right? And so you look at a place like Seattle, they really brought it all together with the, the, the MAC, right? The Military Acceleration Center between congressional support, you have startups, you have big businesses there, you have um, uh, government support, you have um, uh, universities, you, you really, yeah, venture capital, you kind of have everything together mm -hmm. that makes sense. And there's no, there's no substitute for physical proximity. And we're trying to break those down, right? Like we are like this podcast, but uh, what is made, what happened with those under, undersea warfare centers, I'll say both of them, both Newport and Keyport, Washington, is you geographically, you have them all together, right? And there's just no substitute for those, those accidental, or you can call them focused collisions of diverse ideas, which is at its foundation, in my opinion, another wonderful lesson from my time as a fellow and, and wandering around the innovation ecosystem in the Bay Area. 
um, one of the smartest folks I've met had said, you know, all the key to innovation is just the accidental collision, the collision of diverse ideas, right? Not accidental, getting those folks working together. And so there's something about the physical proximity there that now you can bring them together. And we're working on that here in DC, but I'll also throw out that what another uh, win was with during COVID, um, we needed PPE, uh, protective yep. equipment for doctors. And so it was really just by the willpower and initiative of the folks, uh, both in the Navy and the other defense folks and industry and academia that all just got together and said, what can we do to solve this problem? And um, that was, a, I think, a huge one because they just worked together to get it done because it had to get done. Uh, and so I don't know if that was a catalyst for it. But what I've just seen up there is it's a matter of uh, desire and drive by the people that are there, along with having that physical proximity of everyone there um, and a, a greater foundation of an innovation ecosystem. Right. Because um, we've noticed that, that, you know, a place like Seattle, you kind of have already a lot of the gears there and it's just easier to put that pinion in and deliver. Right. Um, and uh, other places, it's hard where you're building this innovation ecosystem from the ground up. Um, but, you know, that's just some of my thoughts on how that worked and it continues to work. And I, I will say the cross-departmental collaboration is really exciting to me, um, especially as we go look at things like how can we uh, work together with defense innovation units, say, uh, where they've got a, a customer and a solution, but they're missing uh, some of the, the coordination on the back end, there's just maybe not fully baked yet. What can we do to sort of fill in the gaps to work together with those other DOD Xers? And the same thing with AppWorks. Uh, we see all the time looking at like their server program and ours and see they have a very large funnel at the front end with their open topics. What can we do to say, take this funnel that they brought in and leverage that and, and, and get those companies that maybe got an AFWORK Civer um, and find a nice landing spot for them in the Navy somewhere, or even if not a Civer, another program where there could be a demand for something that maybe the Air Force did an initial investment on. So that's all in work. What uh, what goes on uh, at the Centers for Adaptive Warfighting? Um, can you talk a little bit about, I mean, I know that has a lot to do with uh, workforce agility. There's there's a component mm -hmm. of digital agility. Um, take us a little through what uh, sort of the best practices and, and, and some of the, the problem solving and ideation that you're, you're involved in there at CAW. Yeah, the, the Centers for Adaptive Warfighting, uh, the cause, we call it. Um, the history is actually kind of awesome. It was founded by a handful of Marines okay. who had <laughs> learned scrum and design thinking and human-centered design. And this is really cool. Um, what if we abstracted the like main ideas of this and then applied it to military context, like what we as Marines do on a day-to-day -day basis? And then it just went from there. And so uh, at its foundation is teaching these courses, uh, you know, by us as DOD folks to other DOD folks, so they can learn how to attack and solve problems at their own level in different ways. And uh, at the, so we have curriculums for, um, for a handful of courses that we go out and we teach both virtually and we will go offsite and teach. Um, and we have volunteers around the country who are call enthusiasts, um, a lot of them very motivated Marines who go out on their own time and will go teach these courses to other Marines so they can solve their problems at their level. At the same time, we do do problem workshops with the Centers for Adaptive Warfighting, which is similar to our, our workforce agility line of effort. Very, very similar. A lot of the staff work together on various projects, but um, they do um, problem solving sessions with them 
using the type of tools that they teach at the call. And then, you know, they have the standard tools that we'll teach. Uh, and then we also have some other tools in the toolbox, which is, uh, you know, comes in very useful, especially now if uh, the CNO, if those are watching the podcast, if you Google get real, get better, uh, it's a CNO led initiative on how can we as a force uh, identifying problems and, and solve problems uh, at the lowest level and then fix or escalate moving up. But um, there's a, if you Google it, he's got some great work uh, and some ideas he put on the online. But I think what I love about that is it's really the senior leadership going, there are different ways we can approach problem solving. Let's try them and do them. And so we're working with the staff on these ideas that we're teaching with the Centers for Adaptive Warfighting. Something as simple as what uh, Scrum is or the design thinking process, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. which to me as a military guy was quite transformational um, because I was taught from the beginning, you know, I'm a naval aviator, right? You know, the, our, our procedures are written in blood. You don't want to be going and doing design thinking on the flight deck of an aircraft carrier, right? Hmm, how could I do this differently? It's you, you generally, because of the nature of what we do, it's sustainable, repeatable processes, generally speaking. Uh, there's times when you're doing tactical development, creative thinking, but most of the time, it's you got folks coming in, folks coming out, you need to learn how to operate and do it, uh, you know, once you don't, you know, you do it successfully without breaking your gear and two, so you can win wars. But I think it's pretty exciting that we're seeing Navy leadership go, well, how, let's look at it from the most fundamental aspect. What is the problem we're trying to solve? And then uh, start defining that problem, look at different ways we could attack this, and then uh, bring it up to the chain of command and go, hey, I think we might have a really interesting thing that we hadn't thought about before. Mm -hmm. um, and that's just not something we normally do. Uh, we do it in certain pockets uh, in the development center, warfare development centers or so forth. But I think it's pretty cool that, that he's doing that. But going into the Centers for Adaptive Warfare, that's the type of stuff that they're doing. We go teach those courses so that folks at their echelon can solve their problems in a different way. Um, and it's been awesome. And, and I love the program. Yeah, I, I, I just love the, uh, you know, once again, the, the way you're you're weaving innovation uh, into the entire mm -hmm. system, uh, this innovation thinking. And I just think it's a, such a refreshing uh, concept in a very elegant way in, in all these examples that uh, uh, that, you know, Naval X is uh, is providing this uh, to to uh, to make, you know, as we say, well, young folks this. want it. Yeah. They want it. It's different. It's the, this generation is different, right? Yep. With me, I was fine. Just like wrong way, right way, Navy way. Like, okay, this is what I'm supposed to do. Sure. Like, <laughs> got it. Um, and uh, one of my mentors had said, the young folks don't want to wait 30 years to be a partner, right? Yep. Um, it's yep. like, they want to be able to be, I was blown away with my junior officers when I was a CEO that they were asking these type of questions and interested in, and and really getting after and solving these big problems that for me, so it was, uh, I was like, ah, whatever, I'm just go fly and do my thing. And so the young folks are hungry. And so I think it's just really exciting to see how much they just have eaten all this up and that we have senior leadership that also is saying, we want to encourage that type of thinking because those are the kind of folks we want to stay in. Right. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Um, Captain, if, if I may, once again, just read, uh, as I said at the beginning, um, about your role as the United States Joint Chief of Staff Strike Advisor, um, yeah. where in your, your job description, you were trusted to provide accurate and timely advice to the President of the United States for employment of strategic nuclear weapons, ensuring nuclear yep. command and control execution message properly sent to the forces. Now, I, I'm going to weave it a, a separate question here. One, I would love to hear a couple of minutes about this, because it's just a yeah. fascinating role. But I, 
I'm a child. I, I was born in the late sixties. I'm a child of, you know, the seventies and eighties. And I remember war games and sort of the, the sort of the second stage of the cold war. And a lot of the themes of the movies then were, you know, we got to make sure that the right codes are sent to the right places and things don't go wrong and whatnot. Um, the, the second question, the question I have on the list here is obviously future innovation themes that you, uh, Captain Van Busker, mm. are particularly most interested in. Now, assuming, I was assuming, just, you know, thinking about it, well, most yeah. likely uh, this gentleman is interested in things like cyber and, and artificial mm. intelligence and machine learning that make sure that those, I hope, as sort of a layman, mm. these missiles stay in their silos and and so forth but talk a little bit about sort of what yeah. gets you excited what technologies scare you and maybe excite you and scare you at the same time as it all pertains to uh to this theme if you would all right so we'll talk a little bit about so my background in ai was really because i was at vmware the software company that they don't focus on like i, I got to go meet the folks from google and waymo and um and uh, it was even YouTube, you know, right? That yep. came in and talked about their algorithms and how they did it. VMware, my, my basic understanding was mostly in the cloud aspect of AI um, and, and how do you manage data um, to go from where, you know, a source to the right person to make a decision, right? Um, and that AI at the edge, I think is really, really fascinating and it's really hard. And uh, if you look at the type of warfare of the future, you know, with that, that's where, in my opinion, um, it's really, really powerful. Um, you know, of course, as an aviator, OODA loops are everything. Observe, orient, decide, and act, mm. right? And whoever gets that loop fastest wins. Um, I think we all can agree from, you know, the stance that our country's taken, you know, fully autonomous uh, systems without, uh, you know, somebody there to make a decision is probably a ways away, right. uh, if anything, for ethical reasons. And, um, you know, I'd always ask, how can we have a pilot, an officer in the aircraft and, and, and not a warrant officer? And it's like, you know, I think it might just be it's, it's in the end, somebody's going to pull that trigger and you want to have that accountability. Um, and so uh, in the end, I, I think what's really exciting is how we can use AI to decrease that OODA loop, especially in the orienting portion, observe and orient. Uh, I still think, in my personal opinion, that we're going to have a human in the loop to make a decision and act. Um, uh, but there's a, a huge opportunity uh, as far as any warfighter that is taking in information. You have to orient yourself and, and then make a smart decision based on what you're seeing. I think AI can help a ton with that um, in getting the right, the right accurate, uh, right information and the right kind of information to that warfighter quickly and using autonomous systems to help filter and move that information around that you're getting so there is so much information out there a lot of times it's overload and as an operator you're having to you know decide what to listen where's a needle you know in the haystack what what's the important piece of information i need i think that's just a huge opportunity and there's just so much work to be done when you look at um you know getting ai or getting the data from different platforms and those platforms collecting data and getting that to the decision maker faster than the enemy does. Um, and I, my opinion is, I, I, I think that, um, you know, decisions by automation on employment of weapons are probably a ways away, if ever, from based on, you know, once again, what the American people deem appropriate from an ethical standpoint. Uh, uh, well, thank you for sharing that with us. Yeah, well, um, well it's another one more thing I'll share. So my first AI course I took, it was a meeting, uh, it was a, a great presentation at Park uh, over at Stanford Research Center about, you know, AI isn't the end all be all and that it's, it, you can trick AI. It was on adversarial, uh, it was adversarial perturbations uh, on how to confuse AI. 
And so you think about it that way. It's just it's it's a game of you can use countermeasures to trick your your AI systems. And so those are just things we need to take into consideration. I think that whole um, that whole realm uh, or that uh, right word is is a great great place to do research on how to trick AI. Mm. Uh, I hope hopefully the AI can be tricked that easily. But well, <laughs> I'll. I'll you know, not being an AI expert, I'll uh, I'll rely on the experts like yourselves to to make sure everything. <laughs> I wouldn't say my expert an expert, but I was able to do. There are some folks that were giving us a, a briefing on their cool facial recognition AI. So yeah, I yeah, went yeah. like this, and then I okay. was it disappeared. Okay, I'm no, <laughs> disappeared. <laughs> awesome. Um, what's what's uh what's coming up um for the rest of 2022, maybe early 23? Any uh new tech bridge initiatives, um, conferences that we can watch you, people can meet you at, um, anything else hot uh, on the Naval X radar that you want to talk about that I did? I mean, I know that I will put a link to the, yeah. um, the annual report that you have because you have so much going on, but any other uh, innovation initiatives that you want to mention, please take the floor on anything that I missed. Well, you know, we'll, what I would say is definitely follow us on LinkedIn, Naval X, because right now we're still building out what the next year looks like as far as the different places we'll be presenting. We always will be at Sierra Space, right? We're always there for that. Um, ITSIC has also in Orlando has also been a great conference where we've spoken and presented there before. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm speaking this Friday at uh, JP Morgan's Vet VC Summit, which will be a, a great uh, forum to talk about these type of things. Dual use is going to come up, right? It is a hard, the environment is different now than it was a few months ago, right? And how do we, we need to keep the U.S. industrial base moving uh, and building for defense. And it is a challenging environment to do it. And so uh, I'm really looking forward to meeting with those folks and and working together on a way ahead. And I will just hit that real hard here. Another one that's great about Naval X, and Sino said it at um, ITSIC last year, was um, we do this and we figure this out in collaboration with industry and academia and other DOD. This isn't a bunch of Navy folks sitting in a room saying, we're going to figure out the answer. And so when I, we go and engage and speak at these places, I said, we have, we have multiple coming up. I said, it's literally between me and our, our team here at Naval X. We try to one, get the word out, but two, we show up at these things with questions. Like we are forming our strategic, we have this office of private capital at Naval X and we're working with Big Navy on a, on a, on a strategy for, for um, private capital. And so I'm going there with questions. Like, what do you think, guys? You're out there in the trenches, right? You're out there trying to raise money. What can we do as a Navy to be a, a better partner for you um, as uh, both VCs and adventure-backed companies? So you'll want to send your companies our way. Mm-hmm. it being sort of a niche, maybe high risk. Uh, and who do we need to talk to to get better? And I will say that I love that aspect of what we do, that I want your inputs. And so we do these speaking. It's, it's a two-way conversation. Um, but uh, what I was, the best answer I'd say for that is follow our LinkedIn, and we will post when one of us, me or our other executive team, uh, I have two deputy directors, both with PhDs, <laughs> who are really, really smart in engineering. Um, and we will go out and we, and we speak. And uh, so I'd say follow us on that. As far as our strategic objectives for the next year, we're actually building that out right now because we just had this merger with uh, ONR's Naval Office of Navy mm-hmm. Research, Naval Accelerator, yep. with things like I, I mentioned, those, those other uh, 
Navy programs that are now part of Naval X. And so we're figuring that out right now. What does right look like? And do we, what should our objectives be for this next year to really drive change now that we've really gotten, as I call it, Series A, right? Um, and that when the Navy did this merger, not only did they give us, uh, say that we want these programs to be in the Naval X umbrella, right? We also established Naval X formally as in, as a, we had been a startup, all right? And we are now a permanent unit. We are attached both to ONR and Office of Navy Research and ASNR DNA. Think of it as ADCON and OPCON for the joint people going to nuclear strike advisor stuff, right? Mm-hmm. It's a, you have your operational chain of command, which provides you the direction and in orders, which is ASNR DNA, the acquisition executive, but we're also attached to Office of Navy Research. They're like our ADCON, man, train, support, guidance, right? So how do we work together with our two bosses? And of course, the CNO and our other senior stakeholders to deliver that capability. Um, and so we're putting that together right now. We're putting our team together and figuring out what the strategy for the next year looks like in collab, you know, what, where do we want to focus our efforts? So the answer is stay tuned. No, it's, it's, uh, I, I definitely am staying tuned. Um, going to be encouraging everybody that, that, that watches the episode to do so. And yeah. it's, it's going to be fascinating to, to uh can you watch the the evolution of of your group and uh just going to be rooting you on because uh, it's just a, a completely fascinating organization that you're running there and uh Thanks. and making things happen um for for everybody that uh is going to be listening to this episode uh, across the various podcast networks or watching on our YouTube channel. Uh, again, you've been listening to Captain Benjamin Van Buskirk, Director of Naval X, uh, connecting operational art, tactical proficiency, commercial creativity to support uh, and, and, and spur on these fascinating innovation initiatives across the Department of Defense connecting to academia, connecting to industry. Um, Captain Van Boskirk, it was, it was really a, an honor listening to you. I, I want to thank you for, again, taking the time out of your schedule uh, for doing this. Obviously, thank you for everything you're doing there and your long history uh, of uh, defending the United States. And, and as we say on this show, uh, thanks for helping to create a better tomorrow through everything you're doing. It's really a very fascinating story. I'm rooting you on and, and will encourage everybody listening and watching the show to, to continue to do so. Well, thank you, Ira. And I would like to thank everyone who's listening too, because, um, you know, th- this is an American problem, not just a Navy problem. And, and it's the folks out there in industry and academia that are part of this. And I can't thank you enough. It's just always so awesome to see folks that made that choice to work in defense and to be in the defense industry and academia or like you and podcasting to support the cause because um, we're in it together. So thank you for making the choice to do this and spend this time with your life and in your careers to, to help out the defense of our country. Absolutely. Thank you. Okay. Be well.